Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. This week we come to the end of the War Games, the end of Season 6, and the end of the Second Doctor's run. Today we'll be discussing Episodes 6 through 10 of the War Games, sharing our thoughts on the Doctor, the companions, the villains, and the story as a whole, and then giving it a final score of 5. We would also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So in order to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E, T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravelingteam at teamproductions.com. So I will now give you the final summary of Patrick Crown's run, but before we do that, I must make an apology to all our listeners, and I think this is the very first entry into what I like to call the Paddy Can't Fucking Read archives. (laughs) (laughs) On the map, it does indeed say Peninsular Campaign, or Peninsular Zone. I read it as Peloponnesian Zone, two completely different fucking things, which accounts for all the soldiers I thought were out of place. Thank you, buddy. You're welcome. So, that one is in the books. Let's just see how many more come in this entire run. <laughs> What's a TARDIS? <laughs> okay. So, episode six. The Doctor laments that there's nothing that can be done about Jamie and the others being shot down, and Carses urges them to flee. They make their way into the corridor, and the doctor leads them back to, into the processing room. In the security zone, the security chief and the head scientist discuss the arrival of Zoe and the doctor, and the security chief says that he thinks the war chief might be attempting to bring some of his own people, the Time Lords, in to help him gain power. The scientist suggests going to the warlord, but the security chief says that he will need to gather evidence first, and requests that the scientist help him. He orders that the prisoners that were captured at the loading bay be examined before reprocessing, and if he finds anything unusual, then he is to send them to the security chief for questioning. The prisoners are then brought in, and the scientist uses a device to scan their brain patterns. Meanwhile, the Doctor, Zoe, and Carstairs have successfully managed to sneak around to the opposite side of the reprocessing room, and the Doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to reverse the magnetic field of the partition wall, allowing them to open it a small bit. They appear through just in time to see the head scientist start to examine Jamie, and are relieved to see that their friend is still alive. The scientist notices that Jamie's brain patterns are different to the others, and so he sends him to the security chief. Before he can be taken away, though, the war chief arrives and wants to know why the prisoners haven't been reprocessed yet. The scientist says that they are being tested for leadership potential, and that Jamie is being sent for questioning, as his brain patterns indicate that he was never processed in the first place. The war chief demands that in the future all unusual matters be reported to him first, and he then leaves. After he goes, Carstairs knocks out the scientist's assistant, whilst the doctor hauls the reprocessor, which Russell was about to go into next. In the security zone, the security chief is questioning Jamie about his origins when the war chief arrives. The war chief wants to know why he wasn't informed about the questioning. He then reveals that he knows the security chief doesn't trust him, and warns him that if he intends to go to the warlord, then he'd be better sure of his suspicions, or the war chief will crush him. Back in the reprocessing room, the doctor revives Russell and his remaining resistance members, but are forced to flee after Carstairs kills a guard that enters the room. An alarm goes off and the doctor attempts to take the reprocessing unit with him, but Carstairs pulls him away as he can't hold off the guards. Russell wants to destroy the base, but the doctor says that at the moment they are outmatched but reveals his plans to unite all the resistance groups, using Zoe's memory to locate and identify them all across the various time zones. The war chief and the security chief arrive to find the room empty and the security chief uses this as evidence that the prisoners must have access to a time and space machine. However, the war chief debunks this after he finds the demagnified partition wall and orders the guards to go to the landing bay, which is where the prisoners are most likely gone. 
In actuality, they have gone to rescue Jamie, who was disguised as a World War I-era soldiers. They then make their way to the landing bay, but they encounter the guards as they arrive. The doctor sets up a force wheel that stops the majority of them getting in, and Jamie, Carstens and Russell dispatch those that made it through. The doctor then programs one of the ships to take them back to the World War I zone, and Zoe comments on how easily he reprogrammed the ship, which he deflects by saying it was easier than it looked. He tells the others that he will follow on after them as he wants to get the reprocessing unit and Jamie and Carsters volunteer to stay with him. Meanwhile, back at the barn, Von Weich manages to trick the young Peninsular War era soldier, Private Moore, that is guarding him, into letting him wear his monocle. Despite his repeated attempts to resist, Moore falls under its influence and thinks Von Weich is his officer during the 1810s. The ship returns to the barn and Von Weich tells him to shoot Russell as he emerges but Russell tries to make him remember. Russell and Moore then fight over Moore's rifle, and Russell manages to knock him into the wall, which dazes him. Von Weich then picks up Russell's revolver, which fell out during the fight, and he orders him back into the ship. When Russell refuses, Von Weich goes to shoot him, but he is killed by Moore. Back in the security zone, the security chief again questions how the prisoners were able to use the ship, but the war chief says that since that is how they came to the base in the first place, then it is only logical that they could use it to get away. The security chief then vows to catch them before the warlord arrives. In the reprocessing room, the trio manage to get the unit, and as they leave, the Doctor takes some gas bombs from the munitions stores nearby. They make their way back to the landing bay, where the Doctor uses the bombs to incapacitate the guards, whilst he and the others, wearing gas masks, make their way into one of the ships. However, the ship is stopped before it can leave, but the Doctor says that he has locked the door so that they can't get in. He then says that they can leave once he overrides the Master Control, but it shouldn't take long as the design is similar to the TARDIS. Outside, the security chief says that they will starve them out, but the war chief says that that will not work, and he goes to activate the dimensional controls. Inside the ship, the walls and the ceiling start to close in on the trio, and the war chief gives them 30 seconds to surrender before they are crushed. Episode 7 The doctor crawls out of the ship under a flag of truce, and asks that he and the others be treated fairly, but the war chief tells him to bring out the others or they will be crushed. The doctor uses the distraction of his protest to throw down another gas bomb, and as the war chief and his guards choke on the fumes, he dashes forward to reset the dimensional controls and send the ship on its way. He also takes the master control rods, which prevent the ship from being recalled, and also allow it to travel into any of the war zones. In the ship, the Doctor says that they cannot go directly back to the World War I zone, but instead they will go to an adjacent zone and cross back on foot. Back in the base, the War Chief and the Security Chief bicker over the former's inability to locate the ship, which is called a Sidrat, which is now in flight. Suddenly, an alarm goes off announcing the impending arrival of the Warlord. The Security Chief says that he will go to greet him, but the War Chief says he will go instead, thereby preventing any blame being laid on him by the security chief. He and the warlord return just as the Sidrat has detected landing in the Roman zone. The warlord is initially furious at the information of the prisoners' escape and their theft of the reprocessing unit, but the security chief reassures him that everything else is under control. In the Roman zone, the trio are making their way over the hills en route to the zone boundary when they see Roman soldiers bearing down on them, forcing them to flee back the way they came. This is reported by the field observers to the security chief, who says that he will send guards to retrieve them, but the war chief says that they could have an adverse effect on the processed soldiers. The two men start to bicker, and the security chief again accuses the war chief of being in league with the doctor. Their argument is overheard by the warlord, who tells them to cooperate or they will be replaced. Back in the field, the trio make their way through the mist barrier and emerge again into the World War One zone, where their appearance is reported to Smythe. Smite notices that their path is guarded by a machine gun emplacement, and he gives orders for them to be killed. They are pinned down by machine gun fire, but Zoe and two resistance members arrive and incapacitate the machine gunners. However, 
A squad of British soldiers arrive, and Zoe says it is too risky to fire on them without hitting the others. Instead, she opts to follow on after them as they lead them back to the HQ. In the HQ, Smite says the Doctor will be executed, whilst Jamie and Carstairs will be sent to the front line where the fighting is most dangerous. Carstairs tries to convince the Sergeant Major to see past the illusion, but Smite uses his glasses to bring him back under control and orders him to organise a firing squad. The Doctor tries to point out his value to Smite's superiors, but Smite ignores this and he goes to report the supposed death of the Doctor as he tried to escape. The War Chief then instructs him to recover the reprocessing unit and return it immediately. Smite goes outside and demands to know the location of the reprocessor, but Karstas says only the Doctor knows where it is. Smite rushes to the window to halt the execution, but he sees the Resistance attack the HQ instead. Smite flees to his room as the Resistance forces, accompanied by Zoe, Russell and the Doctor arrive, and they say they must stop Smite from sending for help. Inside his room, Smite begs the War Chief for reinforcements, but says that they can't send guards until the new Master Control rods are ready. He then orders Smite to deactivate the area controls, but before he can do that, Russell breaks through the door, and in the exchange of gunfire that follows, Smite is killed. This is all noticed by the Warlord, War Chief and Security Chief before Zoe kills the video feed. The Warlord demands that the reprocessor be recovered immediately. The Security Chief suggests sending in guards, whilst the War Chief suggests eliminating the fugitives and the resistance in an artillery barrage, but the Warlord says that that could destroy their master control rods and remove the time zone barriers. Instead, he orders that the processed troops from both sides of the conflict in the area attack the HQ. The Doctor requests that Carsters and Russell hold off the enemy forces for as long as possible, whilst he works on the plan to save them by establishing a safe haven to act as a base. Jamie joins the defenders while Zoe goes to help the Doctor. The resistance force is whittled down by an enemy vanguard, and Carsters urges the Doctor and Zoe to flee to safety, but the Doctor finishes his work and turns a dial on the area control circuit, and the sounds of the fighting disappear. The Doctor informs everyone that he has set up a time zone barrier around the HQ that will deter the processed troops and act as a base for the resistance to strike from and retreat to. Jamie then presents a captured French soldier, and the Doctor says that he is precisely what they need. The failure of the assault leads to another confrontation between the bickering chiefs, and the Warlord intervenes by criticising them both before announcing that he will take direct command. Back at the HQ, the Doctor successfully manages to deprocess the French soldier, and Carstairs takes him aside to bring him up to speed. Russell points out that by only doing one soldier at a time, it will take them too long, and the Doctor says that if he had access to more equipment, he could deprocess dozens of soldiers at the same time. Suddenly, they hear the sound of a Sidrat arriving, and the security chief emerges with a squad of guards. They kill several resistance members and capture the Doctor as he tries to save the reprocessing unit. They then take him away in the Sidrat. Episode 8 The Sidrat arrives back at the command centre, and the Doctor is led away after reassuring the trigger-happy guards he means them no harm. The security chief then returns the reprocessing unit to the warlord, who congratulates him and tells him to return it to their home planet for mass production. The war chief then requests to be allowed to interrogate the doctor, and he is given permission. As they are speaking, the security chief is doing just that, but to no avail, as the doctor refuses to give in to his hypnosis machine. Back at the resistance base, Jamie asks Zoe to try and use the master control rods to bring the Sidrat back to them, but Russell objects, saying that it could be filled with guards when it arrives. Carstairs and Russell then arrange to have defences set up in case one does come back unannounced. Once that is done, they join Jamie and Zoe in order to discuss the Doctor's plan of uniting the various resistance groups. Zoe names out the leaders and Russell says the main one that they need to convince is Arturo Villar from the Mexican Civil War Zone, as he has the largest resistance group out of all of them. Just then, a Sidrat arrives and the guards manage to kill the resistance members manning the machine gun, but Carstairs throws a grenade into the ship, causing it to retreat. 
Russell and Zoe then set about contacting the resistance leaders, and Russell places Jamie in charge of the defences. Back in the command centre, the security chief continues his questioning of the doctor in the hopes of getting him to confess his partnership with the war chief, who suddenly arrives. War chief admits to knowing the doctor and says that only he can get the answers that they seek. The doctor vows to say nothing, but the war chief says he will succeed when the security chief has failed. He then takes the doctor to the war room and demands that they be left alone. Once the room is cleared, he starts to talk to the doctor in the hopes that their mutual status as renegades from their own people will help gain his trust, but the doctor says their motives are entirely different. They then discuss the plan of the warlord and his people to use the most elite warriors from Earth to conquer the galaxy and bring it under a peaceful rule. The doctor berates him for giving the secrets of the Time Lords to the warlord and his people, but before they can discuss anything any further, the warlord arrives with the security chief. The security chief insists the doctor is too big of a threat to be allowed to live, but the warlord allows him to live based on the war chief's assurance that he will help them defeat the resistance. They then leave the room, and the war chief outlines his true plan to rule the galaxy himself and ask the doctor to be his right hand. Later at the resistance base, Arturo Villar and his men sneak inside, incapacitate the guards and demand to speak to Russell to ensure the summons wasn't a trap. Zoe goes to Jamie and warns him that they need to be careful of the violent and chauvinistic VR. She then dresses him up in bandoliers of ammunition and grenades and introduces him as one of the resistance leaders. VR is opposed to the idea of uniting the groups, saying that they are most effective as smaller units, but Zoe points out that they will be easier to crush that way. VR reluctantly agrees to stay for the meeting with Russell and the other leaders, seemingly won over by Zoe's promise to lead them to the command centre and then home once they are victorious. At the meeting, VR seems to be the only voice of dissent, but nevertheless agrees to go along with the plan to gather all the resistance forces at one of the known Sidra landing zones so that they can capture one of the ships to invade the command centre. The resistance forces then send out squads to the various alien commanders' bases throughout the zones to destroy their video communication devices in order to draw out as many Sidrats with guards as possible. These landings are reported back to Carstairs, who along with the others map out the locations and take notes of the forces deployed. Russell says that soon the command centre rules should be empty of guards, making it easier to assault. However, the war chief also notices the pattern and berates the security chief for leaving the base undefended. However, the security chief says that he knows the resistance are near the barn in the American Civil War zone and that he intends to use the neutron bomb to wipe them out. The war chief says that they will need to evacuate the process soldiers first for fear of wasting them. However, the warlord intervenes and says that they will not use the bomb and says, says the doctor will prove his loyalty by dealing with them. In the barn, the resistance groups have all convened and Carstairs prepares to destroy the video communicator to bring a Sidrat to them. However, before he shoots, the doctor appears on the screen and asks to speak to Drussel. Jamie and Zoe excitedly tell him about the army that they have assembled, but he tells them to only send the leaders as he has a plan. VR says that he will stay behind, but Russell tricks him into joining the group by questioning his courage. One of the other leaders is left in charge, and Russell, Carstairs, Jamie, Zoe, VR and the other leaders enter the ship which then dematerializes. The doctor greets them at the landing bay and says that he will lead them to the war room, but a squad of guards then enters and he tells them not to move as they are completely surrounded. Jamie and Zoe look on in shock as the war chief congratulates the doctor. Episode 9. Russell vows to kill the doctor for his treachery, but he and the others are sent to the processing room. The security chief orders the doctor to be sent as well, but the war chief countermands this order, saying that he has proved himself to be useful. The security chief says that he will leave it to the warlord to decide and goes to find him. After he leaves, the doctor questions the war chief's reasons for keeping him alive, and after some probing, he realises that he needs access to the TARDIS, as the Sidrats, being an inferior variant, have a limited lifespan and will be defunct by the time the conquest is ready to commence. 
The war chief tells the doctor that he must help him if he wishes to stay alive and then leads him away to the meeting with the warlord and the security chief. Once there, the warlord asks the doctor why he switched sides and the doctor replies that he didn't realise just how small and doomed the resistance groups were. He then offers to improve the reprocessing devices and mass-produce them and the warlord takes him up in his offer but only if he uses Jamie, Zoe and the others as test subjects. He accepts, impressing the warlord who then dismisses him so he can discuss the latest reports about the resistance forces with the war chief. He then orders the war chief to recall all the guards once the video communications devices are repaired and says that he is staying on the planet until such time as the war games recommence. In the processing room, Jamie and Zoe try to convince the others to see that the doctor wouldn't betray them without some sort of plan and they discuss what it could be. However, the security chief arrives with the doctor and tells the prisoners that he will reprocess them but he takes the guards away with him, leaving the doctor to the mercy of the prisoners. Once he is gone, B.R. and Russell advance on the doctor, threatening to kill him. The security chief returns to the war room, where the war chief is finalising the assault on the resistance forces gathered near the barn. He doesn't trust that his rival sent the doctor to the reprocessing room, and goes to check on him, but after he leaves, the security chief asks a nearby technician to play back recordings he had ordered to be taken of anything the war chief and the doctor discussed. He listens back to their conversation, and gets the proof that he needs to reveal the war chief's plans. In the reprocessing room, Jamie and Carstairs stop the assault on the Doctor, who tells the others that he did what he had to do in order to stop the use of the neutron bomb. He says that he has a plan to save them, but VR doesn't trust him and attacks him again, but this time he is stopped by the War Chief and his guards. He orders the Doctor to start the improvements on the reprocessor, and the Doctor uses Jamie as a test subject. He says that Jamie will believe he is back in his original time of the Battle of Culloden, and Jamie plays along with the ruse. The war chief is impressed when the doctor promises to do the same for all the captured resistance members and he then departs, leaving the doctor to his task. The war chief returns to the war room and orders the security chief to be arrested for leaving the doctor to die, but the security chief plays the recordings for him and has him arrested instead. He orders him to be taken to the security zone and for the doctor to be taken into custody as well and for them both to be killed if they resist. Back in the reprocessing room, the doctor uses the machine on VR who thinks it is broken as he still has his independence and he attacks the doctor. However, Jamie stops him and he reveals the ruse. Zoe announces that someone is coming and the resistance member take cover as the war chief is led in by guards. They jump out to incapacitate the guards and the doctor berates the war chief for believing that he would ever help him. He then orders him to be taken to the armory so they can take over the war room. The war chief reveals his arrest but offers instead to take them to the landing bay where he can stop the sidrats containing the guards from returning. The doctor says that they will do that but only after they go to the war room to stop the war games from continuing. They attack the war room just as the security chief is giving an order for the guards to return. He orders, the alar- he orders the alarm to be sounded, but his men are killed by the resistance whilst he is killed by the war chief. Zoe says they need to stop the fighting and return everyone to their own times, but the war chief says that there aren't enough fully powered cigarettes to return everyone to their own time zones. Russell asks if there is anything the doctor can do, and he replies that there is, but the war chief begs him not to do what he is thinking, as they will both suffer for it. The Doctor snaps at him to stop the fighting and as he does so at gunpoint from Russell and VR. The Doctor explains that he needs to summon the Time Lords and Zoe notices that the Doctor is none too keen on doing so. He says that he has no other choice and then sits on the ground and lays out six small tiles from his pocket on the floor before going into a trance. The War Chief again begs him to stop but he is restrained by the others. They watch as the tiles arrange themselves into a cube and once he awakens, the Doctor says it contains a message for the Time Lords detailing everything that has occurred. He then notices that the war chief has slipped away and he tells him that he needs to be stopped before he escapes. The war chief arrives at the landing bay but he is accosted by the warlord who reveals that he heard the recordings taken by the security chief. 
The war chief tries to convince them that they are forgeries, but the warlord orders them to be killed, and his death screams are heard by the doctor and the others as they make their way to the landing bay. They kill the remaining guards, but the doctor orders the warlord to be taken captive so he can be tried by the time lords. He tells the resistance members to remain until they arrive, and he then tells Jamie and Zoe that he must say goodbye to them. The shock duo asks why he can't remain to meet the Time Lords, but he says that he doesn't have the time to explain and that they will be sent back to their own times with the others. However, they refuse to leave him and he says that they need to get back to the TARDIS. Carstairs asks to go back to the World War I zone with them as so that he can find Lady Jennifer. The Doctor agrees and then mentally commands the box to teleport to the Time Lords. He then programs the Sidras to take the Resistance members away, but they are stopped by VR, who thinks that they are betraying him and the other Resistance members. He tries to shoot the Doctor as he leaves, but Russell stops him. The Warlord says the Doctor will wish he was dead if the Time Lords catch him, and he then looks up, announcing that they are coming as a strange sound fills the air. Back in the World War I zone, the Travellers say their goodbyes to Carstairs, who suddenly fades from sight. The Doctor tells him to hurry for the TARDIS, as time starts to slow around him, and a strange power forces them to the ground. They reach the TARDIS, and the Doctor tries to open the doors as he staves off unconsciousness. Episode 10 Jamie props up the Doctor long enough for him to open the TARDIS doors and the trio tumble inside where the Doctor struggles to get to the console. He manages to activate the flight controls and the ship dematerializes, breaking the effects of the force field. The Doctor then explains that the Time Lords are an ancient, near-immortal race who have mastered the secrets of space and time travel, but they have taken a solemn vow only to watch and never attuned to a fear. He says that he grew bored with the rigidity of the way of life and left to explore the cosmos, but due to his tendency to get involved, he is now labelled as a renegade by the Time Lord Society. He says that he has set a course for the planet on the outer fringes of the galaxy, but the TARDIS begins to materialise unexpectedly, and they see through the view screen that they have landed in the middle of the ocean, where it begins to sink beneath the waves. The Doctor says that they are still safe within the TARDIS, but Zoe points out water dripping onto the control console. The Doctor says the Time Lords are breaking down the defensive mechanisms, and he says that there is one place that they may be safe, and he pilots the ship into space. However, his efforts are in vain as the Time Lords demand that he return the TARDIS to their home planet. The Doctor demands to be left alone, but they tell him that he is to face trial and it would be easier to come of his own free will. He again tries to pilot the TARDIS away, but the Time Lords take control of the ship remotely and bring it back to their home planet. Jamie asks if they can make a break for it, but the Doctor defeatedly says there is no point and resignedly leads them out of the TARDIS. Outside, they are greeted by a man wearing robes who orders them to follow him. He leads them into an ornate chamber where they see the warlord standing in its centre as he is being tried by two other men in robes. One of them announces that all the soldiers have been returned to their own times, but there have been countless deaths as part of the war games. The Time Lords berate the warlord and his people for the callous way in which they use the lives of untold thousands of soldiers as part of their heinous plot to take over the galaxy. The Doctor says a Time Lord trial of this nature is a very rare event, and he is then called forward to confirm his testimony against the warlord. One of the Time Lords uses mental coercion to make the Warlord give an answer to his charges and after begging him to stop, he questions the validity of the trial and said the loss of life would have happened anyway. He then tries to implicate the Doctor as one of his supporters. Back at the TARDIS, a pair of technicians are working on the console when they hear the sound of an arriving ship. They go outside to investigate and they see a Sidrat arrive with a squad of the Warlord's guards emerging. The guards kill the technicians and they then make their way into the chamber. They storm inside just as the Warlord is found guilty, and he orders them to take custody of the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe. He tells the Time Lords that if they try to stop him, he will kill the prisoners, and he follows on after his guards. The Doctor refuses to help the Warlord, but he then threatens to hurt Jamie and Zoe if he does not. They then enter the TARDIS, and the Warlord orders the Doctor to take him to his home planet, or he will have Zoe killed. 
Left with no other choice, the doctor goes to the console, but instead brightens the lights in the room to near-blinding levels and tells Jamie and Zoe to run. They run outside where they encounter the Time Lord judges, who wreck their force field around the TARDIS, stopping the Warlord and his guards from attacking them. One of the Time Lords announces that the Warlord's planet has been sealed off from the rest of the universe, and the Warlord, along with his guards, are then erased from reality. Jamie and Zoe, thinking that the ordeal is over, made to go back into the TARDIS, but they are stopped by another force field, and they are kept imprisoned in it whilst the Doctor is taken away for his own trial. The Doctor mounts his defence by saying that he is proud of his disobedience and uses a mental projection screen to show the Time Lords some of the evils he has faced, including the Quarks, Yeti, Ice Warriors, Cybermen and Daleks. He then berates the Time Lords for their isolationist ways. The judges tell him that they need time to ponder his statements and dismiss him from the chamber. Meanwhile, Jamie and Zoe are told that they are to be sent back to their own times, but they refuse to go without seeing the Doctor first. They find him playing cards by himself, and once they are alone, they urge him to rebel once more and flee to the TARDIS. Swayed by their fate in him, as well as his own desire to keep travelling, they make their way back to the TARDIS. However, they are cornered by the judges, and the Doctor sadly says his goodbye to his young friends, telling them that he won't forget them. The Doctor sadly asks if they will be allowed to remember him, and one of the judges says that they will remember their first encounter with him, and they will be returned to their own timeline, just after he would have left them. For Zoe, she is returned to the wheel where she is met in the hallway by Tanya, who tells her that they need to get back to work. As she leaves, Zoe looks back as if she remembers something, but in the end follows on after Tanya. For Jamie, he is transported back into the aftermath of the Battle of Culloden, where he is shot at by a British redcoat. The bullet misses, and Jamie draws his sword and chases after the soldier. The Doctor is pleased to see them both safe, and asks what is to become of him. The Time Lords say that he has made valid points about the need to combat evil that exists in the universe, and so they have decided to exile him to Earth in the 20th century until such time as they deem proper to release him. They also say that his knowledge of the TARDIS controls will be wiped from his mind. The Doctor strenuously objects to this and points out that as he has been there frequently, his appearance could get him into trouble. He objects further when the judges say that his appearance will be altered and that he will be given an opportunity to choose his new appearance. The Doctor turns on each of the options for varying reasons such as age, height and weight, and as a result his appearance is chosen for him. He continues to object as his transformation begins and he is transported to the TARDIS, which is then sent to Earth. End of the story. So, I have summarised the end of an era. So now Trish will give you the trivia spot for the end of said era. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So the era date for these last five episodes was the 24th of May to the 21st of June, 1969. The writers, as we mentioned last week, are Terence Dix and Malcolm Hulk, and the director is David Maloney. So when the Time Lords are giving the Doctor the option of what he's going to look like, he's presented with four faces on a screen. Those were drawn by designer Roger Chevely. Chevely? I think Chevely is probably the Chevely. best. There we go. Yeah. Um, only four faces are shown, but both the script and the dialogue indicate that there was actually five. We just only see four of them. The one that was deemed too young is the one that isn't actually shown on screen. None of them actually look like John Pertwee who is going to come up as our third Doctor. The reason for that was John wasn't cast yet when they were filming that part. <laughs> yeah, because basically, unlike the previous regeneration sequence, what this one is that it, it it's actually really funny 
it starts off really funny because like Patrick Chung, it's really funny when you're looking at it but if you yeah. try to think of it in universe it's slightly freaky it is so basically Patrick Trouton is like you know you know, he's on about like, the importance of choosing your own face and he then starts to kind of it's very important he starts to kind of stretch his face around the place and then it cuts to a pre-filmed insert of where it's like uh, kind of mirages of him are like circling him it's and basically bohemian rhapsody pretty much and it's like they're all circling around him and he just then sends off you know he goes away spinning into the void and he goes stop it you're making me dizzy <laughs> but if i have to give credit to patrick Troughton for oh but we'll talk about it in the in the character section but for actually trying to act out a forced facial change mm. fair dues to him like, you know yeah it's it's one of those interesting things where and i think i mentioned it later on but um this is one of, if not the only time, I'm trying to think now, where we don't get the doctor to doctor on screen. So. And Paul, you asked us this in a quiz ages ago and I forgot. Yeah. So, okay. So technically speaking, in the yeah. story, we see six transfer into seven or regenerating the seven. Yeah. However, because of chicanery going on with the production Colin Baker wasn't there for that sequence. Okay, but in terms of character. Yeah, in terms of character the only one yeah, no, like obviously they've changed, like for ages we never saw 8 regeneration to 9, but Mm. because of uh, recent events in the the specials, we we see that progression from 8 to 9. So yeah, this is the only time we do not see, no there is a a fan-made video where John Pertwee came into it, and I think Patrick Sean was there for it as well, that shows the regeneration, mm. and, it, and it goes right into Spearhead. So obviously oh. it, was, it was done years later when the, John Pertwee and Patrick Sean were both old, mm. but it actually does lead into the, the stagger out from Spearhead. You actually raised an interesting point, I'll go back to trivia in a second. What are we going to do when we get to the end of the film? Do we go straight to Eccleston? Or do we do all of that stuff? The extra stuff that wasn't the actual episodes, like all the side stuff? Uh, so, in, okay, we no, we would have to go from the film to Eccleston because it's... Otherwise um, it makes no sense. <laughs> otherwise it's a, it's, a, it's a huge kind of spoiler as such. Okay. And if we if we were to do that, I would prefer that we do like a shitload of the like big finish stuff for Paul McGann because <laughs> we, we'll talk about it. But Paul McGann was robbed for oh, he uh, totally for was it. Us. But totally w- two things I love about the proposed faces: one, one of them looks like Charles Darwin, and the other one was a was would have been a uh, would have been a black actor if it had been a face that was picked, mm. and. Uh... Although obviously Patrick passed away before um, Jodie Whittaker was announced as the Doctor, apparently he was quoted to have said that he'd be perfectly happy if the Doctor was female. So mm. that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, moving back into this story though, um, mm-hmm. Sid Rat. Yes. Or Side Rat, as it's kind of pronounced. <laughs> um, the acronym is never explained on screen. It is never used, I think, ever again. Um, no. Basically, it's tired to spell backwards. 
Yeah. Right? In one of those very cheap early sci-fi sort of, let's just turn their letters around. Um, <laughs> it's like reverse flash. <laughs> Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Yeah. When they oh, had like oh, the... Kalima and it was... Yeah. Yeah, it was like just basically wiped the sand off the fucking board. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, in the novelization, Malcolm Hulk actually reveals that it stands for Space and Intertime Directional Robot All-Purpose Transporter. How hard did he try to find words that would fit? <laughs> Basically, they're TARDISes. That's what they are. They just didn't want to call it the TARDIS because it's the TARDIS. <laughs> so apparently the final episode of the serial was the last to feature scrolling end credits until part four of Earthshock, which is a very long time away. Jesus. Mm. Fuck it. I was like, fuck it, you're right. <laughs> Pick and mix. I think this blew my mind. Up until 1989, so for 20 years, episode 8 was the least watched Doctor Who episode of all time. That blows my mind. Jesus. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it doesn't compute. No, I think, yeah, like I'm, I actually don't know how to, how to respond to that. Like, really, it's crazy. Um, so, of the three Doctor Who stories to extend beyond seven episodes, this is the only one not directed by Doug Canfield. The other two were. Mm-hmm. In the script, the Doctor says the Time Lords were the rulers of his people. Instead, he said they are his people. Mm-hmm. And this has led to the ongoing debate of are all Gallifreyans Time Lords? And as established in Invasion of Time during Tom Baker's era, they are not. Way to jump the, <laughs> the ship there, buddy. Wait, you called it fucking Gallifrey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've always said unnamed planets soon to be called Gallifrey. How dare you? <laughs> Oh, my joker with you. Oh, my joker yeah. You. But yeah, so like, it's interesting that it was originally meant to be that the Time Lords were the leaders of his people, but then he said they are his people. Um, so you can imagine up until that point um, yeah. in the future, like that is an, it's an interesting distinction. You know, it's one that you and I have discussed in private many times mm-hmm. before. Um, it's sort of like the, oh, what is it? All, oh, fuck, it goes one way there. All Eskimos are Inuit. Yeah, but not all Inuits. But not all Inuit are Eskimos. Or else it's the other around. Whatever. Um, (laughs) Philip Maddock, who played the Warlord, um, we'll talk about him a little bit, he grew a beard specifically to play this part so that people wouldn't confuse him with the character he played in the other story he was in. And I'll say two things. First time I ever watched this, didn't recognise him. Neither did I. (laughs) Other other thing is, that beard Rikered the fuck out of that guy because it suits him down to the ground. <laughs> it really, really does. Um, one person that we don't get to see again is Jennifer. Mm-hmm. She's mentioned, but we don't get to see her. Originally, she was meant to have been 
we talked about last week how like oh you know she wanted to go with them and it's a little bit sexist she wasn't she was meant to go in the original script she was meant to go with them and be ambushed and whatever um but then they decided that they wouldn't be including her in the second half of the story so that was why she didn't go which i think is poopy uh and also yes um patty made a comment last week when i mentioned patrick Troughton's son who appeared in this half of the story and yes as soon as he appeared on screen i was like oh my god <laughs> Yeah, he's Private Moore, and he's actually wearing a Riflesman uniform. And I'm he was? Yeah, <laughs> because Trish has recently watched all of the Sharp TV series, and uh, Patrick Trout, or sorry, David Troughton played uh, the, Arthur, or the Duke of Wellington in the first two stories. Who is, in my opinion, the better Wellington, personally. I, li- I like them both. I like but... them both, but I think he was better. But I recently reread one of my favorite parts from uh, Sharp's Eagle, which is when uh, Duke Wellington dresses down Simerson. That's so great. Way yeah. better, way better than the TV series. Way, really? way better. Way better. Hmm. And yeah, it's you just lost the colors. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 done so much better. So so much better. But yeah. anyway, back to this. That'll be a discussion for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. So at some point in time. Yeah. So on to our cast who we're going to be talking about today. So as car stars, we see David Savile. We've mentioned him already. Uh, security chief is James Bree. War chief is Edward Brayshaw. Then we have Russell, who's played by Graham Weston. This is the first of two Doctor Who credits for Graham. We'll see him again in The Planet of Evil. One of my favourites. Mm-hmm. His non-Who credits include Zed Cars, The Persuaders, Robin of Sherwood, United, Crossroads and Tess. Villar, or how did you pronounce his name? V- uh, VR. Oh, VR. Apologies. Mm-hmm. VR is played by Michael Napier Brown. This is his only Doctor Who acting credit. And actually, his name is presented two different ways in the credits. So in episode eight, it's Arturo VR. And in episode nine, it's Artur VR. So the first one ends in an O and the second one ends in an E. So again, something with the names on this story. <laughs> uh, Michael's son who credits include The Dick Emery Show, 1990, Ivanhoe, and Moonstrike. Michael passed away in 2016. The Warlord is played by the previously mentioned Philip Maddock. This is the second of four Doctor Who appearances for Philip. We previously saw him in The Crotons, and we'll see him again in The Brain of Morbius, and then The Power of Krull. This was the only TV story to feature Maddock that wasn't written by Robert Holmes. It's interesting. Mm. Uh, outside of who, Philip also appeared in Midsummer Murders, Moonacre, The Man from Moscow, Jack and Ori, The Life and Times of David Lloyd George, Amardale Farm, Zed Cars, and Dad's Army. Philip passed away in 2012. I haven't got into a whole lot of detail about them because, to be honest, they're kind of interchangeable characters and they don't really have standalone personalities. But the Time Lords are played by Bernard Horsfall, Trevor Martin and Clyde Poilet. Now, this is the final story of season six. And we are saying goodbye to the second Doctor, to Jamie and to Zoe. This is the first time in the six years the show has been on where the entire regular cast has left at the same time mm-hmm. at the end of a season. I can't, I'm trying to think how often it happens going forward. And it's really quite rare that the entire cast changes at the end of a story. 
There's a few, but not many. I so obviously we like there's Paul McGann in the the movie, mm. and then it doesn't happen until Matt Smith's run. Again, it doesn't happen with Matt Smith's run again because that's a complete fresh start. Yeah, and then it doesn't happen again until Jody's Jody's run through. Because someone always goes over. Always carries over, yeah. Yeah. And like you could kind I think some people could probably argue that um seven and ace like they, they ended together, but then you have the movie and whatever, but I, yeah. I think a lot of people probably consider that be them you, you, finishing you, together. You yeah, you you can put it that way, yeah. Yeah. So why did they leave? Why did they leave? So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Fraser was the first one who announced that he wanted to leave. Um, it was pressure from his manager, basically saying, you've been doing this long enough, time to move on, do something else, yada yada. Um, and it was Patrick who convinced Fraser to stay. Patrick was getting pressure from his wife. Same thing. You've been doing this long enough. You won't get any other parts. Hello. Like, Whatever. Neither of them particularly wanted to leave. They were both really having a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but they, together with Wendy, then decided, you know what, we'll all go out together. Yeah. We'll finish the season and all three of us will, will leave at the same time. This isn't the last time we saw them, though. Fraser would return as Jamie in The Five Doctors and The Two Doctors. Wendy returned in The Five Doctors. And Patrick returned in The Three Doctors, The Five Doctors and The Two Doctors. Wendy and Fraser also contributed to Doctor Who audio productions. They've done a variety of them. I tried looking into, so for previous Companions Departures, I've sort of included a little bit of what came after. Mm. And for these two, it's very higgledy-piggledy. I think partially because of like the five Doctors and the two Doctors sort of bringing them back in and kicking them back out and whatever. Uh, one thing I will say I will take from it is at one point in one story... Uh, Zoe is nearly changed into a cyber planner because she was too short to be a cyberman but too smart to be ignored and so they nearly turned her into a cyber planner in the end she ended up obviously saving the day and whatever um, she had fierce issues with her memory uh, the memory wipes didn't yeah. stick and it caused issues with her finding connections with people which was sad even though we don't see it on screen, and I'm sure we're going to discuss it when we get to Jamie, Jamie does marry your one from the Highlanders. Oh, uh, Christy. Christy. And apparently they have more wee bairns than there are days in the week. Oh, sorry, Christy. Christy, yeah. So they do get married, apparently, in some of the expanded stuff. Um, at one point, he gets his memory back. Um, the time stamp didn't, or the memory stamp didn't stick. Um, there's one point in time where he gets his memory wiped again um, because he had tried to in a time travel thing had tried to make sure that Scotland would win Yeah. Um, and he voluntarily got his mind wiped again and apparently he lived a very happy life with his wife so there's actually another thing and I was initially conf- this is before I, I had a chance to watch any of the classics this was me kind of doing research into what what happened in Classic Who? Because I, as I said, like back when we first started this, my exposure to Classic was UK TV Gold, which mm. was really only Tom upwards. 
yeah. the, the odd smattering of John but Tom upwards. And so I wanted to know more about one and two. Because, you know, I didn't know I'd ever get the fucking chance to see them. And there's an interesting thing. I I can't remember the ins and outs of it, but there's a thing called the Series 6B theory. Mm. Which is because Jamie and the Doctor appear in The Two Doctors. Yep. But there's never been an adventure because uh, Wheel in Space, it starts off directly at the end of Fury from the Deep. Mm. So there was never a chance for the two of them to travel together. Yeah. So there was this whole other thing about, and it kind of led into like the, the Time Lords, before they did, before the reason that they didn't uh, show the exact transformation into two of the three is because the Time Lords decided to use the Doctor and his best companion, Jamie, for a series of what they thought was like pertinent missions to Time Lord Society before then separating them. Mm. The, the whole idea of a 6B yeah. um, really has come into the fore more nowadays. Yeah, in the last couple of years, <laughs> or um, the last year. It, it's an interesting theory. Mm. Um, I always figured, to be honest, I mean, the stories were intended to be one running into the other, one into the other. That was the way, yeah. that's the way serialized. Yeah, television worked with those, um, but like you're know, with things like Big Finish or whatever. I always just assumed that they were in a pro- they're in a pickle. They have an adventure. Then when they're leaving that adventure, ah, fuck it, they're back in the pickle they were when they started. Yeah, which is why they end up going to the next episode. Talk <laughs> uh, <tucked> from obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking sh- crafty time lord bastards. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for the trivia spot so as always we will discuss the characters that appear in this this, uh, story so we've got the doctor jamie and zoe Uh, we have carstairs russell and vr we have the time lords we also then have the villains of the security chief, the war chief, and the war lord. And the time lords actually take up the prominent character slot this time around. Mm. So I think we should leave... Will we do everyone first, bar the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe? We can do. Because like, Usually we have the person who's leaving going last. So Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think what we, we should, because we've all three of them, I think we should just leave them to last. So mm-hmm. we do Carstairs, Russell and VR first. Sure. Um, good old Carstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no point in you going back to the World War One zone, buddy. No. Jennifer's in the Civil War zone. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm gutted at the thought that the Time Lords are going to wipe their memories as well, meaning him and Jennifer won't remember each other. Yeah, it's it's just like it's bad enough he was going to the wrong zone to find her, dumbass. And I love how no one corrected him <laughs> and told them where they left her. Um, but I, I like Carstairs in this. Like he's just you know he's a good egg. It's Carstairs. He he is, and like he never tries to assume any sort of leadership. No, like like he he like, like he's technically lieutenant. Like he outranks Russell. But he never, he treats Russell as an equal. He mm. never, he never tries to treat, and that's the thing. He never t- treats any of the resistance leaders as, or even members as lesser than. No, which is great. Um, and I thought he was like a fantastic character. You know, mm. 
I think Carstairs. It's probably because he reminds us so much of Ian. Probably, yeah. I could have seen Carstairs as a companion. Like Carstairs and Jennifer, I could have totally seen as companions. Oh, I can I can see him keeping on like the bottom part of the uniform, but just like only keeping on like you know the fucking the the slack shirt. Mm. I think Carstairs as a companion would have been this weird hybrid between Ian and mm. Harry. Yeah. Because the military bearing of Harry, mm-hmm. but the Ian-ness of, yes. of Ian. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> the uh, not quite a ham-fisted idiotness of Ian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the perfect fusion. <laughs> um, yeah, I. he was just so good. He was just a really enjoyable character. And again, hats off to David Savile's acting. Mm. Very, very good. What do you think of Russell? I liked Russell. R- Russell. Russell. <laughs> Sorry, I was speaking to my parents. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was speaking to my parents an hour ago, so my accent kind of slipped back into <laughs> Kerry. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's he's obviously a good soldier. Mm. Like because he treats Carsters with all the respect due to a superior officer, even though he doesn't have to, because yeah. Carsters never once treats him like an, a, a subordinate officer. He does let his temper get the best of him. But it's always circumstantial. It's never mm. like um, because like of how close they are. It's always because like they're like you know they're on track to getting their goals. Mm. It's it's more of a case of for fuck's sake. That's yeah. why he kind of lashes out. Um, I like how he like again he handles Jamie perfectly here because mm. like your know, last time like you know he obviously saw that Jamie's approach of dealing with Lady Jennifer wasn't working, so he was like, "No, look, we have wounded. She is a nurse." that can be a way for her to stay safe. But here he's like, you know, Jamie, oh, you, like, I need you to look after the defenders. I need you to, like, man, you know, basically be in charge around there. And it's almost like a big brother telling his little brother, you know, like, you're in charge of, like, the house while mom and dad are away. Yeah. Um, but he, he was, like, again, he was great. Mm. Like, I and the fact as well that, you know, he stopped VR from trying to shoot the doctor in the back. Like, he was just a great character and it's easy to see why he got a lot of lot of resistance members to follow him as oh, yeah. opposed as opposed to waiting for like a superior officer to appear mm. i did think about russell is that like he, he's a good leader just naturally yeah um but we, we've discussed this type of character before where the sergeant everyone follows when their co is a clueless dipshit oh, you know, he's the sergeant that you trust and you follow him like and you sort of look to the captain and kind of go like the captain gives an order and you kind of look at the Sarge and kind of go, Sarge, like are we... Okay, cool. Do you know? He kind of... No, not to the same extent, but he reminds me of the portrayal of a character in the film Zulu, uh, called Sergeant Bourne. Uh, like, great, great portrayal. Like, in an accurate portrayal of the character, mm. of the person, but a, a fantastic movie version of this character. And it's just like, you know, all the guys respect him a whole lot. And like I just got those kind of vibes from Russell, where it's like not even when the officer's a dipshit, but it's when it's like when stuff really goes bad, you go to your sergeant for comfort as opposed to your commanding officer. Yeah, um, I do like the fact that he gives the doctor a certain amount of leeway. Do you know, mm. like when the doctor is turning against them, you could tell he's kind of going, "What the fuck?" Yeah, and like he's giving him a certain amount of leeway. But it doesn't mean he treats the situation lightly. No, it's a case of like, speak your piece. And if I don't like what you say, I'm going to blow your head off. 
Yeah, which which I I liked, you know. And obviously, had he been more like VR, we wouldn't have had the, the end of the story because the doctor yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, th- I think Russell was good. Mm-hmm. Another good egg. Yeah. Um, don't see him as a companion, though. No. No, I, I, I don't see that sort of thing. I think I he's would a see very him... good story character. Yeah. And I think in. Yeah, no, he's a good story-based companion. Yeah. You know, a sort of uh, top build after our main cast type of character. Yeah. Um, I thought he was very good. Um, but I, I don't think he would have worked with the group no. going forward. I don't, I don't think he would have fit very well. No. I, I can see him kind of getting bored of the life. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's the kind of guy that likes, you know, like, I like my two feet on the ground, you know? We can also tell the first planet they go to, he's like, I'm going to stay here and help. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, that was short. <laughs> yeah. I uh, know we have VR. I was not a fan of VR. There's always like one psycho in the group, isn't there? It's not that. It's he was too much of a caricature for me. He was very hey gringo. Yeah, I I didn't like it. We have a very solid cast in this and I don't know if it was the direction he was given he just he was taking me out of it every time he spoke i just sort of felt like okay we're on a happy happy as opposed to the seriousness and the the emotion that we've been getting all along i wasn't a fan he is almost like a piss take of like the fiery latino man yeah yeah, because like it's very i kill you for betraying us (laughs) i've equated him to two different things okay one, he's like a character in an RPG that has you know fairly good stats and tries to constantly take over the group. Oh, I wonder who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but he's um, like he has this thing of like you know I've got the biggest group, mm. so it's like, and you would expect him to be kind of going like, like he did say like I think I should be in charge, but he only said it once and then he completely backed down. And I think that's from the fact that he's, he's savvy enough to realise, let the other guys fucking waste their men on this. Mm. He's also fucking tech stupid, though. Oh, but, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, like everyone else is playing along and he's like, well, well clearly this fucking thing is, this science is <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I kill you for betrayals. Fucking easy Also, I thought it was very interesting that mm. the majority of his men all seem to be from the his time zone. As opposed to Russell's group, which are a disparate group from like the Crimean zone, the American Civil War zone, the Boer zone, Peninsula zone. I think that was intentional on his part. Because he was yeah. like, you know, we don't care about your zones. We just want... Yeah. yeah. We just want our zone. Um, um, so, yeah. yeah. I, I wasn't a fan of him. Like, I'm, I'm glad that he wasn't in it for, as say, as long as Russell... No, no there's an episode. There's a couple of episodes in The Difference. But if he had been there since the same time as Russell, he would have really, really fucking grated on me, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll discuss him when we get to the overall. Yeah. But, but yeah. If he had been in the whole thing, he would have had a greater impact on my score, I think. Yeah. So I'm going to make another suggestion that we do the villains first before we circle back to the prominent characters. Okay. Because the prominent characters are going to be a huge thing going forward. Yes, they are. Cool. So we have... Security chief, war chief, warlord. In yes. that order? Yeah, I think so. Uh, security chief, total snake. 
mm. talking like spying, talking shit behind your back. <laughs> Joe, Joe he is. He's so he wants to be Varys. Yes. But he's about as subtle as a brick to the face. Mm. And at the end, he applied to he tried to play too many games and it cost him. Yeah. He called out the war chief at the wrong time. He should never once he had that recording, he shouldn't have spoken to the war chief at all. Yeah. That's what Varys would have done. Take yeah. your information and go away. And I also think he had he had done that. He had taken it to the warlord. But he But wanted, then he went back. He wanted oh. to get his like to use wrestling terminology, okay? There's like a bad guys are called heels. And like there are some heels that are so good. They, they kind of defeat the, they're not actually they defeat the purpose of being healed because you actually support them and you're fans of them and this kind of stuff mm. this guy is a great heel because you just want to kick the shit out of him he's so fucking annoying and it's great mm. <laughs> like his voice the way he speaks grates on me it's like a bitchy child throwing a tantrum um, and the fact that he's actually competent while being an annoying pain in the ass it just shows that he's really effective as a villain you know? yeah but he's not quite at he doesn't quite know how to play the game. No, not not he's. I think he had designs on being war chief, but unfortunately, he failed the exam. And <laughs> was like, or you know, war chief was a new title that was brought in. Yeah. When the war chief turned up, and security chief was like, "I beg your fucking pardon." Yeah. <laughs> what the shit is this? <laughs> This inanimate carbon rod. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I know, I to, to your point about um, I think you mentioned it last week about how you prefer the human mm. villain as opposed to the alien menace. Now, yeah. technically, this guy is an alien, mm. but he's from the more humanoid base, yeah, mm. or even base level. Excuse me, base level standpoint. He he's a great one. Oh, yeah. Because, as I said, at the end of part one, like so, at the end of last week's episode, I was with the summary. Granted, he'd only been in the summary for one episode. You knew he was going to be a massive thorn going forward. Yeah, and the thing is, that you didn't know how. Yeah, exactly. Which is what was good. Then we have his arch enemy. Arch enemy. Yes. The war chief. Question for you. what the fuck was this guy's plan? Right, help the warlord take over the galaxy. Why? What? What's in it for you? Why share your technology with these fucking people and then be there by yourself where they could kill you at any point? So I think what it is, like, he has the technology for the traveling, mm. but he doesn't, he didn't have the technology for the reprocessing of the, of the soldiers. Yeah, but what's in it for him? Well, basically help take over the galaxy and then use the, repro- once he understands how the reprocessing technology works, Reprocess all the soldiers to obey only him, and then he kills the warlord. And yeah, but the, the odds the aren't exactly in his favor, are they? He is the only people of his people who are helping them. It's like their entire society versus you. The the guy has got a Fu Manchu mustache, so he's clearly got delusions of fucking grandeur, you know. <laughs> well, one thing I was going to say is like, what I think his idea was fucking stupid, hmm. right? And he should have totally. If he wanted to use these people, he should have used his technology in a way to get him the highest seat of power rather than being second fucking chair to somebody else. But see, this is the thing. 
as the story goes on, he's a, it's revealed he's a complete one-trick pony. Mm. All he can bring to the table is TARDIS technology. And not even that, not even good TARDIS technology, like a knockoff. He's like the guy who take, who gets the gist of a college lecture and then decides to sell his shitty notes <laughs> to people that didn't attend the class. Yeah, but the, the thing about him is, though, is that for someone who is really only two horns and a tail away from looking like the devil, mm-hmm. um, he is quite charming in his own way. Oh, he's got a silver tongue. He is silver tongue to fuck. And like, you're there going, he could probably, except with the Time Lords, he could probably talk himself out of any situation. Yeah. And the Warlord, because as we go on to him now, like the Warlord really, I don't think, is anybody's fool. No, and see, that's the thing, I, that's the mistake I think the War Chief made. Yeah. He made himself second chair to somebody else. Yeah. When it was him and then that entire society. He was never going to win because he stacked the deck against himself. Oops, yeah, no, just like it's it's failing to realize that because you come from an all like from a very powerful society, somewhere out there there is a counterforce to that, yep. or an individual with the ability to counter you at the very level, you know. Hmm. And it's just that arrogance that fails to realize that yep. the warlord. This guy gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, it's so he's so unnerving. Like he, as a kind of yeah. So to describe him, he's there's no air and circumstances. He's Steve about him. Jobs in space. Yeah, he's like, and he's got, and it's he's like his glasses are the old side heavy lens glasses, and he's got like the Steve Jobs beard, and it's it's just very there's no and pomp the polo and, shirt. Yeah, there's or the no polo pomp, shirt, the turtleneck. Yeah, there's no pomp and circumstance about him. It's mm. just all very dressed down and. Philip Maddock, I think that this is his best Doctor Who performance. I'm, I'm going. I think I'm going to say it now. I don't. I don't think I've seen his fourth. Have I seen what's his fourth one? Power of Crawl. I, I haven't seen, seen that one. That. No. Um, but of the ones I've seen of him, so I've seen three of them. Yeah. This this is definitely, like this is an amazing performance. Because yeah. he is he in is, general, not just a Doctor Who performance. Oh. It's an amazing performance, just yeah. in general. Oh, like he's. He's so unnerving. It's because he's completely calm. Like, mm. he's never the loudest voice in the room. No. Yet you're drawn into him and you're terrified of, of of what it is like when he like opens his, when he does raise his voice level. Mm. Um, and I guarantee you, like, his rise to power, bodies littered all the way fucking behind him. Yeah. He is the reason why I like human or human-based villains. The psychotic, sociopathic nature, I find it really interesting. <laughs> right? I'm the person who, who, when I was younger, had to think for Hannibal, right? So um, I have, I find that really interesting. And this guy has it in spades mm. because he truly believes in his heart of hearts that he is the most powerful man in the universe. So the idea of someone outmaneuvering him. Or over, it doesn't compute. It's not that it doesn't compute in the sense that he doesn't know what to do when faced with it. It doesn't compute so that when he is faced with it, he's like, "Okay, but I'm me." So yeah. it's what like, are you going to do? And like the trial sequence in episode ten is amazing because he refuses to speak. Mm. And then, like they use their mind powers on him to like basically torture him in, until he speaks. And it's like I don't, I, I like I. Failed, like, I do not recognize your power here, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, is that arrogance or is it fearlessness? 
It's arrogance. <laughs> yeah. To me. But, but you know, I, it's his arrogance that feeds his fearlessness, though. Yeah. And even until the very end, and like, we talked about Salamander back in Enemy of the World, like falling into the fucking void, and like, would he land somewhere? Would he be ripped apart by the fucking time vortex, whatever mm-hmm. it is? These guys, they're fucking complete. Like, their planet is sealed off from the rest of the universe. Their planet is taken out of phase, mm-hmm. and they are like himself and those men that were with him are erased from reality. I do love when he finally realizes he's fucked. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the thing about this type of character, right? Unless you're going with the Hannibal type character where you're kind of meant to be rooting for him. Yeah. Do you know? Hannibal is the hero in, in that story. <laughs> Jared's called after him. Um, but the thing about these type of sociopathic characters is always the moment when the facade cracks. Hmm. That And that, that's why I like human-ish <laughs> villains so well. When they're done well. Um, and this is de- of the ones we've had so far this is by far the best yeah and one thing I've noticed about Philip Maddox is he, he acts with his teeth a bit he does and it, it is in the sort of like it's when he like, it's almost like a, it's almost like a tiger or something because like when the top layer of teeth gets revealed you can see the anger mm. but when the bottom layer of teeth is like it's like cold calculating like you know your like, top teeth I'm going to fuck you up Bottom teeth, you won't even see it coming. Mm. Um, and like, I'm a huge fan of actors that can act with just their faces, mm. or you know, a certain part of their faces. Like two prime examples are, are Tom Hardy mm. from both the movie and Dun- Dunkirk and uh, Dark Knight Rises, and Carl Urban from the movie Dread. And it, to a, to an extent as well, like uh, uh, Hugo Weaving from V for Vendetta, mm. when you when you can just use some parts of your face to get across so much about your character, it's fantastic. Yeah. And Philip Maddock just uses his teeth to do that. <laughs> and he's terrifying. Like Seriously, people, I, I know that I tend to go and watch certain things. War Games, Philip Maddock is one of those ones that just makes the story what it is. Oh, definitely. Like, we'll get to it in a minute. We're, we're kind of ruining a bit of our overall here, but like, yeah. the first half was good. Yeah. You know, the War Chief, the Security Chief, that was interesting. Um, Smythe and whatever the hell's name was. Van Vyke. Their dynamic was a bit interesting. Van Vyke was a little bit caricature again. But like, when you get to actually meet the Warlord, it just goes to this whole new fucking level. <laughs> Final boss music kicks in. <laughs> uh, so. But is it the final boss? Well, that's the thing. Is the, Do you go down door A or do you go for like the extra hidden bonus part part after it so we have the Time Lords the Doctor's Society yes you put them in prominent characters and at first I was like why the hell did you put them there but I suppose they're not really the villain of the story they're not the most we could kind of say about them is that they're villains by circumstance but like they weren't the ones driving the plot. They came in in literally the last episode. <laughs> they came in the last episode. They eradicated the villains of the story. Yeah, and they came because they were called for. And they sent back everyone to their own times. Yeah. And like, they're yes, villains because of, we of, don't like what they did. Exactly. <laughs> we don't like what they did to the people that we love. Now, before we actually get into them, right? I got huge beneath the Planet of the Apes vibes from them 
you know? Ah, uh, yeah. Like, with, like, just, with, like, the music and the fucking architecture and, like, their robes and their, just their overpresence and their mental powers forcing people to say, do shit. Um, yeah, I got huge vibes from that. But, like, so, yeah, the Time Lords are here and holy shit, do they mean business. Yeah, I mean, it's clear why the Doctor left, right? Yeah. That much is obvious. But, like, when you try to correlate the Doctor that we've seen for the last six seasons, right? So six years of TV show. And you had the old man who clearly loves history. Yes. You know, his favorite earth time period was the reign of terror. And he clearly had an interest in that. And he liked science and tinkering with things. And like, it's this little mischievous Yoda like thing that, um, and then you have this sort of, more clowny, mm-hmm. very emotional, very, very uh, willing to display his emotions in the form of the second doctor. And like we've seen little bits of, oh, his brain seems different or, oh, this didn't work on him or whatever. And we've had little, little sprinkles that he's different, that he's not human and how far different he is from being human. And then you meet these guys and part of my brain kind of goes, what classes did you fucking fail? Because, like, they're not fucking shitting around. And, like, it raises some interesting points, right? Because First Doctor says that they're cut off from their own people. Mm. Then go to the massacre where everyone in his life is gone. And he, and he mm. says, maybe I should go back home. And mm. then here you have... The, the, the whole thing of the, the doctor's refusal and his like fear of what bringing his own people into the face and you kind of go back to the massacre and kind of going how fucking low are you to contemplate going back to these assholes yeah like i've always had this head cannon right of why did the doctor leave now i'm going to completely ignore certain stuff future stories that hinted at whatever mm-hmm. right why did he leave? And I always had this headcanon that he saw Susan being indoctrinated into this way of life yeah. and he didn't want that for her. And so he took her away. Yeah. And when he says he's there cut off, he maybe wasn't 100% honest with her. A, they couldn't go back anyway because he couldn't fly the fucking ship. But like, yeah. Um, I that was always my head canon that he didn't want Susan to come like that, so he took her away, and then like in the massacre when everyone's gone, he's kind of like, well, time to face the music, I guess. Go back and thing, and then obviously he meets more companions and he rediscovers life and the joy and whatever, and the idea of having to give that up, the idea of that he was brought to the point where he had to contact them is just like breaking that bit where like they're like running in slow-mo trying to get away yeah that is actually heart-wrenching it's heart-wrenching because i've obviously seen the story before so i knew it was coming um yeah and it, it's 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 nerve-wracking as well yeah. like because it it just adds more to the tension but you do like and the thing is after like traveling with the doctor as we said like you know, for the last six years mm. okay well, for our thing, a year and a bit. <laughs> um, like you realize 
we're not getting a slanted view of them. Like these guys really consider themselves to be gods unto themselves. Like, like the doctors rarely ever mention them. No, he like that's the thing, and it's like, but like, but even like, sort of what I'm saying. No, but sorry, we know that the doctor would have obviously very good reasons mm. for, and it's not like a case of oh we're like we're like we're behind the doctor one hundred percent, you know, mm. and it's like well no, like these guys are fucking like, even the warlord kind of points at like, it's like. Who gives you the right to do what you do? Mm. Like, what, who gives you the right to seal off an entire planet mm. from the rest of existence? Yeah. So, like, I'm going to call it a small bit of bullshit on that, like, because, like, it's... and But obviously now we're entering a new phase where there's a lot of lore yeah. going to be thrown into this thing. I cannot wait to see what that lore reveals. Hmm. I still find it crazy how how long it took for Time Lords to be... Okay, when you're watching the modern show and then you go back, it's crazy how long it took for the Time Lords to be mentioned and how long still it's going to be before Galifrey gets mentioned. Yeah. Do you know? Is his planet called That's... Time? <laughs> They are the Time Lords. <laughs> I'm the planet of time. <laughs> um, or no, what is it like? Yeah, so like the head of the society are the Time Lords. Are the rest of them just Time Soldiers? <laughs> or Time Warriors? So, Jamie and Zoe first? Yes. Jamie. Yeah. He, he never once does he lose faith in the Doctor. No. Not in his abilities, not in his, um, you know, thing of like there's always a plan, that he doesn't do anything without a reason. And I don't think he ever realized how much that feeling was reciprocated. Mm. Like, is in the sense of like, the doctor, like, like, Jamie doesn't realize how much the doctor relies on him. Because. I think it's he knows really to a boring. certain extent, but not just, how, but not how far deep it goes. Yeah, and like these two, these two companion departures, they're two of the saddest. Hmm. Jamie is, I would say, Jamie is sadder for the fact that we've been with Jamie longer. Hmm. You no, know, Zoe's sad for a whole different fucking reason, but um, like obviously, like it's not his choice. And like you know, not only is he losing the doctor, but he's also losing Zoe. So he's grown very close to. Mm. And the nature of what the Time Lords have done, everything Jamie has learned, is completely gone now. Okay. The fact that he went from being a boy into a man—that's gone. And we talked about it last week, or we talked about it just like you know, texting and that kind of stuff. Jamie's plumped. In the, in the middle of the, the aftermath of the Battle of Culloden, all his people have, you know, gone away. And as you said, like, you know, the expanded media has, like, said that, you know, he managed to make it over back to France to Kirsty and they had loads of bairns and whatnot. It's... That's not in the show, though. Yeah, it's not, it's not in the show. So, like, what's over that hill that Jamie charges, you know? Yeah. I think, I think what makes it so... 
sad with Jamie is even in this story, right? We talked about it last week. Jamie saw a red shirt and didn't charge. Yeah. Last week. <laughs> he stopped and he questioned and he discussed and he found a common ground. And here we have him back in the Highlands, running headlong into battle with all of that experience and growth as a person. Like, he was always headstrong anyway, but, like, it's all that development yeah. is gone. Do you know? And, and to your point, he is fundamentally alone. Now, what they did say, and I was saying this to you, maybe in the world of Doctor Who, Scotland is like Ireland is in the Mystic Knights of Tiernan Oak. You can fucking walk anywhere. And in it's 10 a- minutes, you can run from one end to the other. Because they say they drop him immediately after the TARDIS left. Yeah. So at the end of their first adventure, it'll be as if you left. Mm-hmm. So he could run and catch a boat and catch up. However, is he too distracted by redcoats to do that? Yeah, because clearly there are redcoat patrols in the area hunting for remaining Highlanders. That's why he went with them in the first place <laughs> to walk them back to the TARDIS. Yeah. And like, although, I mean, I mean that's the thing. Like he was walking them back in the first place. Yeah. Maybe the boat waited. No, because they see the boat sail off into the distance and they say goodbye. Oh, but that was only because Jamie stayed on. <laughs> That's only because Fraser was continuing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm still going to, you know, I've mentioned my headcanon for Susan the Doctor. My headcanon for Jamie is he took down that red coat, looked around, saw, I've seen them off. Holy shit. I have to go and catch the boat. And yeah. he ran like the Mystic Knights of Tiernanog and then hopped in the rowboat. And cut up. Yeah. Jamie McCrimmon, the first man to row the English Channel. <laughs> Just constantly singing, if you take the high road, I'll take the low road. <laughs> what I was actually thinking of was... Um... Or probably more apt, the Skyboat song. <laughs> oh, what I was thinking, you know the song My Brother Sylvester? No. You've never heard of the song My Brother Sylvester? No. It's like... I can't, I'm not singing on the podcast. It was like, you know, told my brother, Sylvester, wore 40 medals on his chest. <laughs> no, haven't heard that one. Oh, no, it's not your brother. Okay. <laughs> it's basically, no, it's like, have you heard about the big strong man? I don't know, tell me about him. <laughs> he lived in the caravan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that, that's my headcanon. And ho- hopefully you can, you can borrow my headcanon if you want. Um, because I know, like, we've been talking about this for weeks. Because yeah. we both knew what was coming because we've seen it before. Like, I don't know if our listeners were saying, the end of this story devastates Patty. <laughs> it, it it does. It's, it annoys me so much because, um, like, I, I initially got confused and I thought it was like, oh, they dropped. They, you know, they drop him back at um, I see I forgot the wording and the wording mm. is the exact moment after the Taras leaves 
Mm. I thought, wait, they just fucking just dropped him in the middle of a battlefield as opposed to on the dock. So I got really super pissed off. But it just makes me sad for the fact that realistically, and like, you know, I, I, I want to do a one on Dr. Headcanon, there's a high likelihood Jamie's going to die in the next couple of hours. Yeah. Bastards. So the next sad departure. Zoe. Zoe. I almost in some way find Zoe sadder in some respects. I agree. But no, before the departure, she's great in this story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even this part, (laughs) even this part, her manipulation of VR. uh, Sorry, Jamie, fantastic in this story as well. So good. Jamie being manipulated by Zoe. Yeah, Jamie being manipulated by Zoe. Uh, Zoe manipulating VR. Um, the eidetic memory coming into play. I love the little sequence where it was like, you know, like those old you know, World War II movies like where the RAF women are like saying, like, you know, oh, a squadron spotted over here and guys are moving shit on a board. <laughs> she, she was just there on a phone. And like, I love the, the thing of like Russell herself and Carstairs are on a phone each. And like they're just going up to the map and saying, squad here, squad here, squad here. It's <laughs> One thing I liked about the fact that like Zoe clearly knows things, so it's like you know, no one's paying attention to her, or you know, um, uh, VR isn't paying attention to her and won't listen to her. She's like, for fuck's sake, Jamie, come here, <laughs> <laughs> put these on, and repeat everything I say. And like he comes at you like I present Robert and James and Robert McCrimmon. Oh <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. VR is like, why is she speaking for you? <laughs> Because like, reasons. Yeah. Oh god. I do like the fact that her eidetic memory stuff was used intentionally. We've seen hints of it mm-hmm. um, in other in other stories, um, but this is probably the most direct sort of demonstration of it. Mm-hmm. She saw loads of pictures. Zoe, do you remember all the pictures? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's go. Rather than the more sort of passive. I was paying attention to all the numbers. Here it's sort of addressed like straight away. Yeah. I remember the pictures. Cool. Job. Move on. Um, also, you can be pretty sure that she came up with the idea of destroying the video communicators to draw the fucking guards. Oh yeah, it was all her idea. Yeah. All her idea. Um, in terms of her goodbye though, the reason for me why hers is almost more heart-wrenching mm. is the Zoe we saw in the wheel and space was this lonely isolated young woman who because of her training was almost an automaton Mm -hmm. and she goes back to that she has grown so much in herself over the last x number of stories and it's possible jamie will get the same character growth that he got Mm -hmm. naturally over time i don't think zoe will no not in the environment she was put back in. No, because the one person that would have um, helped her to continue on with the the character that she was showing when the when exposed to the doctor and Jamie is mm. dead. The the female administrator whose name fucking escapes me now, mm. but she died, and so you just have Leo and Tanya who kind of treat her like like, like what what she's meant to be, you know, mm. the human computer, and. I've realized that that because it happens to another character I really really like, who I I consider to be one of my favorite companions. I hate the mind wipe because yeah. not only does it remove the memories, it removes 
the memories of what you made yourself or how you developed, how you grew. Yeah. And it's so fucking shit. Yeah, like, it was Zoe, like, her thing is that, like, she grew from her interaction. She's bad at interacting with people. Yeah. And she grew from her interactions. Mm-hmm. And so to take those interactions away and put her back in with a group that she has a very toxic dynamic with in terms of her development. Yeah. Do you know? Like, they basically call her a walking computer. They mm-hmm. say that she's like a robot. And, you know, it, it's sort of touched on in the expanded stuff, like when she starts getting her memories back or whatever. It would be very hard for her to rationalize that and to form new bonds with that fussing about in her head. Mm-hmm. I guess like, in some ways I find it sadder because... Jamie, while he grew into a man, um, a lot of what made Jamie, Jamie, like the Jamie at the end, the true guy, you know, very loyal, whatever. He was like that already. He was. Zoe learned to care about other people and interact with others and stuff that she didn't have before. And that's where I kind of think it's a little bit sadder in some respects, like on the individual person level. Yes, there's obviously um, the very real probability of Jamie dying shortly after Mm -hmm. um, that we don't get with Zoe. Although one can hope based on the doctor's reaction that the doctor has the same headcanon that I have. Yeah. (laughs) Which is one of the reasons why I have that headcanon in the first place. (laughs) Because, you know, the doctor didn't go, what the fuck are you doing putting him there? Mm-hmm. You know, put him back on the dock, you fucker. Yeah. So, sad. It, 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 it's... The War Games, while being an absolute epic, is... It is also as sad as the Daleks Master Plan in terms of yeah. stuff lost. Uh, in terms of of companions and for the Doctor because again, much like Dalek's Master Plan, there is defeat and victory. Mm. He has lost someone. Now I know that Sarah Kingdom wasn't there for a whole long, same way with Katarina but here the loss the, the lo- it's just yeah. it's tougher for him and Troughton, like Patrick Troughton like this is this he plays a, it so well. This is a swan song if there ever was one, like. Yeah, like try to do the right sorry, try to do the right thing and get punished for it. Yeah. Twice. Not only do you get your friends taken away from you, <laughs> but you have your freedom taken away from you. And from the way they describe it, like we will take away the knowledge of how the tar- like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like they're messing with his mind as well and his body and his his self, how he identifies as himself. All because he realized the only way to solve the problem was to bring them in. And yeah. uh, like Patrick really gave one hundred and fifty percent in this. And like um like he's a like he, there's there's aggression here. Like there's there's a whole lot of emotion portrayed here, mm. and his aggression is because of the, the fact that he's trying to do everything he possibly can without having to try to call in the time lords. Yeah, and like again, like you kind of say like you know, like that calling the time lords is also calling his time in the role. Mm. 
and it's just like again maybe real life bleeding into stuff and one thing i've decided as well that i'm not going to do is i'm not going to compare this to the 10th planet because unfortunately bill was very sick yeah wasn't able to give like he wasn't there for the full entirety of it and great performance great performance by both of them Mm. but i can't compare an effective performance with a non-effective one yeah but what i will what i will say is that both stories are fucking great yeah like one of the things i like about this um towards the end is how zoe and jamie constantly rally him yeah when he says that th- there's no chance the time lords are they're like no come on, let's go let's go and he's like oh no they're here he's like, they're like, we don't care we don't care let's keep going or like when they're when they manage to get to visit him they're like okay come on and like, is down. Let's go. Like his like the look on his face when he's just like like how can I go wrong with these two supporting me type thing. It's like it, Troughton again, he, he's fantastic at the range of emotions. He mm. he he was whatever we have said about his doctor. Yeah. He the actor was and we're probably going to echo this when we do our rambling about him but he his tenure was as an actor was great you know mm. and like he just absolutely nails it here and especially after the space pirates it was mm. just it was so fucking good to see him give his doctor like a final good send off you know yeah definitely <laughs> So, this is the end. Not really. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, we still have more talking to do. Yeah. Um, overall. Yes. So, we didn't give the score last week. Mm-hmm. Right into this week. So, Paddy, I'm going to ask you, this story as a whole, thoughts and score. Okay. So, as I said last week, first time I ever watched this, granted with like a 25 minute gap, I watched it in one sitting. Mm. This time around, I wanted to do the same thing again. I wanted to sit down and watch it all in one sitting and then I or at least have a go of multiple episodes in one night and I even felt like oh, I just come on, just, just do one huge massive bumper episode of the podcast to get over it. Everything. As I said last week, there is not an ounce of fat on this story. No. Everything hits the right note. Suspense, action like genuine terror um, phenomenal acting from the uh, main cast the supporting characters or sorry the supporting actors and and as virtue of fact of that the characters were great definitely top three supporting casts across the entire 50 stories that we've seen here mm-hmm. and amazingly they're all from the same uh, period like web and Moonbase. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, what else is there then um, lots of new lore coming into the show like you know yeah like as one you know fucking era end, ends another is about to begin and there's a whole lot that's here to unpack it does raise an interesting question and I want I would like to get your point on this right and I should have brought mm-hmm. it up with the Time Lords okay the doctor previously said you cannot change history not one line okay yeah we have been told that countless thousands of soldiers died in these war games. 
Mm. I want to know, are there ramifications in place for their deaths when they may not have been supposed to die? I have a funny feeling yeah. that the Time Lords hit the reset button. All of the soldiers that died in the war games got put back to where they were. The, the whole thing. Yeah. Like, if you imagine they isolated that planet. Yeah. So they unwound whatever happened on that planet. That, that would yeah. be my, my <laughs> they, read of it. They did a Superman on it and just like spun the planet back so everyone yeah. survives. Um, because like that's a huge like load of like your fucking shit to deal with. Like that's a lot of branching timelines there, like you know, distortions and the fixed points in time. Um Yeah, but you also have like again, okay, if we're going with a more linear time narrative yeah. here where they can't do that, those people you probably go back and look through Earth War records. Yeah. Those Missing. people disappeared. Missing action. Their bodies were never were never recovered. Yeah, I suppose like sort of does the famous uh, missing battalion from like the Battle of uh, Tripoli, I think they just fucking mm. walked into like a, a gas attack and disappeared. Um, so, like, I also like the thing. Like, I also like uh, the 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 parting of the ways between the Doctor and Jamie and Zoe. Mm. Like, because I'm feeling like that. He just shook their hands. Yeah, and I have a feeling that if he had hugged them, then like it would just be like a like a floodgate of emotions, you know? Mm. And he was just trying to stay strong for them because Jamie and Zoe and Wendy and Fraser do a fantastic job here. You can tell that they're trying to hold back the tears and they do look like kids. They mm. like they look like they reverted back into like your 16-year-olds. Which is uh, what Zoe is. Yeah. But, but, no, but, but I would say about the actors. Like the actors yeah. like look almost like that. Um, I do I do not like where Jamie ends up. But no. not like I like it better than well, like, where you thought he ended where, up. Where, where I thought he ended up, but and 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 there's also I don't I don't like the endings that have been written, but that's mm. my, that's an issue with the like the progression of the story. They're not with the uh, that's an issue with the outcome of the Time Lord's decision, not mm. the story. Yeah, and I was like back and forth over the one point that I misinterpreted, but because that point was cleared up. This is a five out of five. Hands down, I cannot give this anything else than a five out of five. You. Cool. For a season closer mm-hmm. and a regeneration episode, yeah. this story is fantastic. Mm. Um, it has historical elements. It has science fiction elements. It has personal moments. It has a stellar cast and it doesn't have to hide behind robots and bad, you know, bad, oh, bad costuming um, <laughs> and that type of stuff. You don't have to suspend your disbelief mm-hmm. with that side of it because yeah. the cast that you have sells it. 110%. The only bad costume here is like the scuba suits that the fucking Warlord's guards wear. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, but even that doesn't, no, doesn't no, but break but, your but, immersion but, in but any way, like, shape, or form. That's the only bad costuming. And even then, it, it's it's grand. Like, you know, you barely even notice it. Cause it's because, yeah. like, you're hooked into the story. Yeah. Um, I did have issue with VR 
Um, I, I think it was poor direction. I think all of the other characters had been done quite well. We discussed last week the idea of like in the Civil War era, mm-hmm. how they hadn't gone with the popular stereotype of making the Confederates assholes yeah. outright. Mm-hmm. Do you know, they'd had them be you know, that southern hospitality and whatever. Um, to then make VR this sort of caricature, the stereotype, I was like, like he's a spaghetti western Mexican. That that's like he what... did so he did so well with the other guys. Like yeah. what the hell happened here? Like do you know, or even with um, with with the soldier that freed um, Jamie and Jennifer last time. Hmm. Do you know? Yeah, well, um, yeah. You know, again, there was no stereotype there. It was just a good character, which is why I was like, "Do we need to mention his this color of his skin? Is it relevant?" Do you know? And mm-hmm. obviously, there was that one slight mention which made it relevant, but it wasn't relevant to the way the character was presented. So for me, no. the fact that they did it with VR, it, it was really annoying. However, the only other issue I had with this story is very similar to yours, which is. I don't like how it ended. Not because I thought it was written badly, but like from a emotional character perspective, mm-hmm. I don't like how it ended. Yeah. You know, it's the same as you know. I don't like that Alderaan got blown up. Mm-hmm. That doesn't well, make Star Wars a bad movie. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it like means when, I don't like that Alderaan got blown up. Like, like, no, when like when character like or even like when characters that you and that you're a fan of. Like, or like, fuckish, you know, I'm not a, like, a huge fan of the fact that in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Yondu had to die. I fucking yeah. weep like a child every time I watch that movie. And I've seen it multiple times. I know it's coming. I still fucking hate Cat Stevens because of the end of it. <laughs> um, it's like, I, I love that movie, mm-hmm. even though I get upset at how it ends. Yeah, and that's what the War Games is for me. It's a movie where you don't like the ending, but it's a good ending mm. because you don't like it. Yeah. It made you feel something, which is what makes it good. <laughs> Do you know? So I was saying that like, had VR been in it more, this story would have lost points with me. Yeah. Thankfully he wasn't in it enough. And I also gave it a five. I don't think it. I like, honestly. I don't think you would have lost. I think you might have given it like a four point seven five. I don't think. Yeah, you, I, but it would. It wouldn't have yeah. gotten the five, five. if yeah. he was in it more, yeah. because every time he spoke, mm-hmm. he, I was starting to be pulled out. Yeah, and particularly because the first half was so, like it captured you so much. Had you introduced? Had you included him in the first half? Mm. I don't, I don't think it would work. I, I just don't like, you know, but the way he's used, okay, it's fine. A little bit of, almost a little bit of comedy, I suppose, in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, doesn't break the story, doesn't break the immersion. Um, I think, you know, I've had issues with the second Doctor up to now. Mm-hmm. I will be the first person to say it, <laughs> or the second, because you've already mentioned it. Um, but this story, the relationships were great between the Doctor and Jamie and the Doctor and Zoe and Jamie and Zoe themselves. Um, the cast was great. The While I think the War Chief's motivations were off, 
you know, he's also a bad guy. And bad guys aren't always intelligent. <laughs> and the ending. This is who he ran from. This is where he comes from. What the hell? And what they have the power to do. And what's coming next? He's banished to Earth. What does that mean? Mm. And they said they said the twentieth century. When in the twentieth century? It's a hundred year yes. time period. Where, yes. where, where are we going to end up? Yeah, he could end up in the nineteen tens. Wouldn't that be very interesting? <laughs> the whole thing is like the nineteen tens. Um, no, I think fantastically done. And do you know what? You know, I mentioned it last week that Terence Dix was originally meant to write the whole 10 episodes by himself. Mm-hmm. I am glad that given the fact he didn't feel he was ready, that he brought in help. Yeah. Because if he doesn't think he was ready, it's entirely possible, had he written these 10 by himself. Oh, it could have been a completely different thing. He yeah. could have gone off the rails. Yeah. So knowing that it was 10 episodes, knowing that it was so good, and knowing that he had made the choice to bring in someone to help him, for me, that only adds to how good it is because it's sort of like the writer wanted to give it well. Do you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew he couldn't do it by himself. Um, good man, Tara. Yeah. So let's, let me have a look. So I'm going to pull up our episode details mm-hmm. uh, and our episode ratings. So this season has been weird. Yes. And before we do that, I'm actually going to leave the like our listeners with a small bit of a teaser. Surrounding the death of the war chief and versus the what has happened to the doctors and what will happen to the doctors given the nature of the show so i'm going to put a pin in the war chief's death and when the appropriate time comes along we're going to discuss it again are we okay yeah <laughs> cool yeah you put that pin in there I will. <laughs> um yeah so in in terms of our scoring so far so season six has been Probably our most higgledy piggledy season we have had. I would say so. Like season three wasn't great, but season three was consistently not great, uh, with the exception of uh, Mission and Mythmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, this season we've had two point fives, a one point five, but we also had. 4.25s, 4.5, and we ended on a both giving it a 5. So season 6's average score for you mm-hmm. was 3.32, and for me it was 3.46. The show so far has a running average combined between both of us of 3.61. Hmm. So it's an above average show, people. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's so, I feel so bad I go back and look at the numbers like it's a three point whatever and I'm like I keep remembering that uh, I don't know if it's still the same on your contract but um, how on the Google contract a three counted as a failure and only four and above counted as good yeah I worked on a contract where uh, three and below were failures four was nothing and five was the only thing that was accepted yeah so every time I look at our scores I put, I'm like no that no Three is average. Yeah. Coming in the middle. And we're above average. Yeah. Three is, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it, but if it's on, I'll watch it. <laughs> I'll skim it. 
Yeah. What else should I give it her? Yeah. I, I, I'm looking back now to go. What the hell is he saying that about? Yeah, I think. I think it's been an interesting run. Like we've discussed fifty stories now. We've been doing this for over a year. Mm-hmm. Thank you to those of you who've been listening this long. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Paul and Shane. Yeah. <laughs> but Paddy, what are we doing next week? So um, next week we are going to do the first of a series of ramblings. So we have three people leaving at the same time. So we are going to do a rambling for Zoe next week, followed by Jamie and followed by the second doctor. Now those will be coming out Mondays. We're not going to do our usual midweek drops because uh, as we record sometimes in bulk, we're going to take a small bit of a break before we dive into Doc John's period. So we will have... Next three Mondays will all be our ramblings, and then once that's done, we are going to dive into this. We're going to take a week's break, I think, and then we're going to dive into the spearhead from space. Yep, in color, in color, and also shot like it's an actual film. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Till next, oh, all on. I can say is those eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Till next week, bye bye. Bye.